Okay, let's uh, come back in together. We're going to open the Bible together. I want to introduce to you a guest uh, this evening, King Church. We're really blessed to be part of the New Ground family of churches. And one of the many blessings of being part of a family of churches is we get to be blessed by other churches. Um, so can we just a moment, just give Matt and... Well, I have to give them a welcome now. Matt and Helen Beanie. Um, yeah, welcome. Matt leads uh, the church in Putney that is part of New Ground. He's married to the wonderful Helen. They've come to be with us this evening. Uh, and Matt's become a bit of a friend to me over the years. Very encouraging man. He loves the Bible. Loves the Bible. One of his most biggest encouragements to me. And so I thought, given that he's blessed me with the love of the Bible, that he would bless you with the love of the Bible as we kick off Passion Week and Easter, Easter Sunday uh, next week and so forth. So he's going to come and preach to us. And uh, I think you should welcome him again. You'd be pleased to know I've put a timer on. I've been told I've got an hour, so that's good, hey? <laughs> Philip would be pleased, pleased, pleased with that. It's great. How long? When was the last time I was here? Was it a year ago? Something like that? 18 months ago? You are, yes, yes. Yes, it's been a delight getting to know Philip and Caroline, and we're around there for dinner, and Jason and Victoria, good friends of ours. And um, as, as uh, he said, mine's Matt, Helen's my dear wife here, and um, drove me over today, found our parking and everything, so thank you, Helen. Otherwise, I could have been very late, um, not very good at directions. Um, I've been asked to uh, speak on this Palm Sunday, and um, if you'd like to open your Bibles, although we are going to turn to it, to uh, John chapter 12. And we're going to be going through the events of what's called Palm Sunday. Um, although as Christians, we don't really celebrate a particular day. It's, it's a tradition, isn't it, to celebrate this time of year, these events, which is good to recall, isn't it? These very important events. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 12. We live in a pessimistic culture at a pessimistic time in history, don't we? Um, I, don't know if you watch, yeah, I don't know if you watch the news, or maybe you've given up watching the news. For Lent, maybe. You've decided, and it's not been a particular sacrifice, has it? You've just stopped watching news. That's, that's good, not following politics or anything like that. But you just have to turn on the television programs. Or I was watching recently a David Attenborough, an, another David Attenborough kind of campaign. Uh, once it was plastics, now it's um, uh, you know, the, the melting ice caps and Greenland and various things. The world is, seems, seems is falling apart. And uh, it seems that the best days of our nation are behind us. And uh, the best days of our lives are gone. The glory days, as Bruce Springsteen sang. The world is spiraling downwards. We're heading for doom. And some of you are going, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true. It's because we've imbibed much sometimes of our culture. We're, if we are a Christian, if you are a Christian, I'm not assuming you are, or are all Christians, I was going to say this morning, such is the habit. It's the evening. If you're not a Christian this morning, <laughs> evening, <laughs> then you can know God. And if you are a Christian this evening, you know God. And so we have every reason to have hope. I'm not at all saying we should therefore, we should, we should therefore reduce our plastic use and all that. I'm, of course, I'm believing we should be uh, responsible stewards. But we should not be fearful. And the best days are not behind us. We may be getting older, we may be ill, we may be coping with various things, but the very best days are ahead of us and for the earth when, it's, when Jesus comes again and all things are 
recreated. And as we think about Easter, we're not really just thinking about our salvation as he goes to the cross. We're talking about a king riding into Jerusalem to die for the restoration of creation. That's what he's doing. It's a big vision. It's a massive thing he's undertaking here. And the world is not falling apart, although it might be in some ways. We are not to be those infected by pessimism and hopelessness. But it can get into us. There's also, not only, but there's also a demonic pull as well, I believe in dark spiritual forces, that want to pull us into faithlessness, passionless Christianity, low expectations of what God can do. The devil would want nothing better than for you to go to heaven. Wait, he doesn't want you to go to heaven, but if you're in Christ, you're going there. But if he can stop you speaking and stop you smiling and stop you praising on the journey, then that's fine by him. He wants to close, as it were, you down. Lock you into your underground tube uh, compartment and stop you getting out and stop you living your life stuck in darkness but going to heaven. But we need to hear Jesus today. He's going to speak to us by having fresh faith and fresh hope for our lives. You know, some of us used to pray for the sick. Some of us used to give sacrificially, painfully, knowing that God was generous. Some of us used to live believing there were big plans for our lives and for our church. Some of us used to love to share our faith. We used to believe that God could use people like you and me. And somewhere along the line, some of us may have lost that vision and lost that hope and lost that expectation It's not just to be the joy and expectation of youth and then you grow up and you get to know a bit better. No, to such as these belong the kingdom of God. Come to Christ as a child and the more childlike we can be in many respects, the better for all of us. Believe in God. Maybe we've lost some vision. We can start off with great expectations as Charles Dickens wrote. We can start off with great expectation. The crowd gathers here. So let's look at John chapter 12. The crowd have great expectations. John 12, I'm going to go through this story. I'm going to sort of interject as we go along. In 12.1 of John, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's an important point. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus had on purpose delayed his coming to Lazarus. He'd heard his friend Lazarus was sick. And one of the points I'm, I want us to get today is God does move in mysterious ways because he is God. And he's not, he's not ours in that sense. He's his, he's his own and we are his. We don't control and contain God. He is his own. We are his church. It's his world. It's his mission. He catches us up in it, but we don't control him. 
And Jesus had delayed on purpose coming to pray for Lazarus. And when he arrived, the sisters, Mary and Martha, were both very upset. If only you had come earlier, then this would not have happened. But of course, if you know the story, their friend Lazarus was raised from death. Jesus spoke his authoritative word. There's nothing too great for Christ. No problem is too difficult for him. Nothing is beyond his authority. His name and power are above, above all things, are they not? In all authority. Now why therefore don't we see everything we want to see? And these things are not your fault when they don't come about. But oftentimes it's like what Philip was saying in that contribution. There is sometimes a no and a later and a, at some point he, he works in his own time. And sometimes we have to wait. But these things can disappoint us and cause us our expectations to shrink and diminish because we judge God and we find him wanting. If only you'd come, Jesus. We blame him. It can get into all of us. Every one of us can be disappointed with God. John, so Lazarus has been raised from dead. He's come, he's come for this meal with Mary and Martha. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus, this is verse 9, was there and came. Not only because of him, that's because of Lazarus, but also, sorry, not also because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So this, this um, moment, this, this, this incident of the raising of Lazarus has become famous, a famous miracle. And therefore the crowds are gathering to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. And if you read the other verses, you'll see that the, the religious Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders are very annoyed about this. Not, they don't look at Lazarus and go, wow, he's been raised from the dead. Well, perhaps this could be the promised Messiah, the promised saviour. They go, look at him. Man, all the people are believing in him. We should kill him, which is a strange response, isn't it? 12.11, for on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So you see this crowd are forming. It's at the time of Passover. So Jerusalem was rammed full of celebrants coming for that festival. Remembering how Israel had been brought out of slavery. And it's at this time that Jesus is going and he's going to be that Passover lamb. I haven't got time to talk about that, and I'm sure these things will come out over the, maybe next Sunday and through these podcasts. These are signs. Lazarus, these are, are signs that Jesus is this promised Christ or Messiah, a promised saviour that was going to come into the world that we read and promised about throughout the Old Testament. He goes on, 12... Um, uh, uh, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Now, this idea of palm branches was a tradition. It become a tradition, and it's a, a sign of triumph. This, this person is coming with great power, and we expect a victory. They're shouting, Hosanna, which means save, I pray. Save, I pray. For them, it means deliver us from the Romans. 
For them it means restore again, like in the days of David, like in the days of Solomon. If you've read the Old Testament, you'll see there are, there are points in Israel's history where they are a, a great nation, and there are other times when they are in decline. And this is a point of decline. And they want to be a great nation again. Give us again our territory. Let our king rule over us. It's an earthly vision. It's a small vision. It's a political vision. The a theocracy. Let us rule in our land. But that's what they're wanting. Save, I pray. That's what they're asking for. Come, Jesus. Jesus, are you the one that's going to do this for us? 12:13. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is, they're saying in effect, he is, we believe, the Messiah. He is the Christ. Those two, these, these are two, Christ and Messiah are names for the same person, an anointed one, or somebody chosen by God to be a savior and a ruler that was going to deliver them. And this is who they think he, he is, the king of Israel, like another David. The Messiah had been promised to come from the line, the lineage, the family of David. This is maybe, maybe this is going to be like another Goliath moment. If you know the story, David goes out onto the field. Israel are going to be um, cap taken captive by their enemies. But one champion steps forward with his five stones. I don't, I don't understand the five stones bit. If you can understand that, I don't know. But he takes one out of his bag and he kills Goliath and frees the people from this scourge, this enemy. Maybe this is a Goliath moment. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is their expectations. They're excited. Something's, something's brewing. Verse 14. Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid. So he's now quoting from Zechariah. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is fulfilling prophecy. Fulfilling what had been written centuries before, that the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. But also the donkey speaks of peace. When a, when a a, a dignitary, a ruler comes in riding on a, this lowly animal. The point is, I'm not coming to war. I'm coming with peace. God is coming to bring peace. It speaks to us. God's bring, coming to bring peace to us in our lives. And if we turn back to Zechariah 9, 9 to 10... I'll read you a bit more of that prophetic word that was written. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. So the crowds would have understood this, would have read this. They would have understood this. Maybe we've never read Zechariah before. This isn't our culture. This is their culture. They, these were Jews. It's a crowd of Jews come for Passover. This was in them. They were expecting this Messiah. And they would have understood Zechariah. They'd have understood the donkey thing. They would have got it a bit more than we do, maybe. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And this is what they're doing, isn't it? See, your king comes to you. Righteous, victorious, but lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
on the foal of a donkey. And it goes on. This is why they're excited. These next verses, you can see, wow, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. So they can see this, this, this imperious Roman military rule. Could, is, it, is it time for it to be broken? He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule. His rule, rather, will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Wow, that's a big vision, isn't it? So you can see great expectations. We can start off with great expectations. They're excited. We can start, start off in our Christian lives excited. But we know this crowd is going to be disappointed because their expectations in the way they are thinking of them are not going to be met. I could read some other prophecies, but for time I'll, I'll rush on. Their excitement is short-lived. Just think about all the times. I, I know you're a highbrow audience here today, <laughs> congregation. I know that you would not watch things like X Factor <laughs> or Britain's Got Talent or anything like that. I know that. So this is going to go over under most of your heads. But some of you it may relate to. The person comes on and they look scruffy. There's no way they can sing, you think to yourself. And they stand there and they stand there and go, what's your name? My name's Matt. Um, can't look at you in the eyes because I'm nervous. You, would you like to sing for us? And we'll go, we're kind of going, ah, but ah, ah, ah. I'm a Christian, I should be merciful. Oh, yeah, go for it, yeah, go for it. And then they sing, I dreamed a dream of times gone by. And all the crowd are slowly, <laughs> and they, they were jeering. But now the tears are going down their eyes. I, I dreamed a dream of times gone by as well. <laughs> and I can feel it and the atmosphere. And by the end of it, they're all on their feet, you know, clapping. And, hey! and now I can't even remember her name. If you know the person I'm speaking about. And all of those people that were promised, they were the next big thing. They were the next star, that their dreams were now coming true, who are probably maybe working on a, a liner somewhere, doing cruise, cruise entertainment, maybe. This is a bit like this crowd, isn't it? Here today, excited, full of faith, in inverted commas, belief, you are the king, here you are. Now it's gone. I remember the tears. Now it's gone. Why do we fall into mediocrity? Why do we fall from great expectations? Why? We all could all do it. It's not the crowd, is it? One minute we're in tears, crying out, Jesus, hope of the nations. And next thing we know, we're wondering if he can even provide a park, car parking space. We've stopped praying. 
We've stopped reading our Bibles, expecting God to speak to us. We've stopped prophesying and all the things which maybe we did in the past. And even if you are full of faith right now and you are shouting Hosanna and you are, yes, top form, spiritual health, then this is a warning to us because this, this, this decline is open to every church and every individual within those churches. And you will all know people that have lost their faith. And you may be here today having gone through that, whoop, and God, God be blessed, you've come back again. And there's always hope of that for anybody who goes away from God. Why do we fall into mediocrity? Well, it's because Jesus doesn't do the things we were expecting in the way that we were expecting, in the time we were expecting. We judge him, as I said before, and he is found wanting in our hearts. The crowd, as it says in Luke chapter 19, thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And what they thought of as the kingdom of God meant power on earth now, Israel, to its former glory. We can lose our first faith and our passion. If you remember from the letters to the churches in Revelation, it talks to a particular church, the church of Ephesus. It says, you have lost your first love. Come back again. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Return to your first love. God doesn't do things sometimes we wanted him to do them. Surely now is the time for Jesus to do this. And maybe he didn't do it. He didn't save him or her. He didn't provide that thing. He didn't heal when you wanted. He hasn't yet moved in revival, if you know what that means. Turned the nation upside down. He hasn't stopped wars, earthquakes, famines, and tyrants. And lots of people don't believe, won't believe in God because of famine, famine and struggles and war and all those kind of things in the world. Well, Jesus doesn't always act as we would want him to do. And we can either live in cloud cuckoo land, but the reality is lots happens in the world and in our lives that we don't like. And the answer to it, as I'm going to say, is about worship and trust. It's faith, genuine faith in who he actually is no matter what. There's a cancer that comes to us from judging God. Judging God. Be careful. We live in a culture, we always have done though, this is not new, the church is always at odds with the world around it. Its view on gender, its view on marriage, its view on morals, its view on various things, lots of things, is at, is at odds with the church. Much of the time, not all the time. And if we start to say, do you know what? I actually think that the world, the, those outside the church have better, have actually, they've got a real point. And actually, I think I would rather that the Bible said what they're saying. We're actually judging God. And that is a cancer to us when we start to do that. You know, just a little after this, this crowd were part of the crowd that were saying crucify him or 
they were silent. They were one or the other, because they were there. What should we do with your king, it says here. Here is your king, John 19, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. You may not shout for his death, although you might. You can become to such a point where you actually despise Jesus, having been a worshipper. But you certainly aren't singing Hosanna to the king of kings and living in expectation. And judging God is a cancer that will get into us. And we must, we must be aware of it in our own hearts. Are you disappointed with God about stuff? Annoyed with him? You know God does everything right. And the only answer is to trust. The only answer is to look at Christ and say, the one who died on the cross, the one who loves you unconditionally, and to trust him. Seeing Jesus restores us. Seeing him, worshipping him, restores our faith. I'm going to move on because I was going to read, I've got this long thing here about, about a vision of Christ, but I will just move on from this. Seeing Jesus in worship restores faith. Worship is so important. We've been doing it tonight. Thank you so much for leading us so well in worship. Who's the worship? Who's the leading us? What's your name? Ross. Ross. Thank you, Ross. And George. George. Good drumming. <laughs> Very good. Got rhythm. Very good. Thank you so much for leading us. Worship is so important. Focusing on who Jesus is. Is, 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 is a balm, is, it's medicine, and it's not to be just be done at church. Every morning when we get up in the morning, through the day, get a song in your heart, get a song in your mind, memorize scripture, worship our, worship our God. We've got to get, get back to focusing on him. And I, and I don't know if you, if we go back to the beginning of John chapter 12, we have this incident where, I'll read it to you. So Jesus has come, and we're going back to the beginning of the story. There are a number of things that happen in this story, and I nearly preached on it this way, but I've done it this way instead. We have authentic worship. We have Judas's kind of sham worship, where he says, oh, we should have given this to the poor. And we have the crowd's inauthentic, short-lived worship. But we have at the beginning here Mary's authentic worship, and this is what we need to get. We need to come back to Christ. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Do you see here? Mary's brother has been raised from death. At that point, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. She understands something about who Jesus is. She's, she's got a vision of him. She's seen his power. 
She's been disappointed by him in that she, she, he didn't come quick enough by her reckoning. But she's gone over it. She's now trusting him. He's, he's, she's believing him and she's bringing this, as it says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Sham worship. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me, physically that is. But he is here, isn't he? He promises to be here by the Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. He is here. When we gather as a church, or when we go ourselves to worship at home, or wherever we do it, he's here with us. And we can pour, as it were, or we can fill, as it's, I love these words, and the house was filled with the aroma or the perfume. And this is what we need to do if we're going to be kept from great the decline from great expectations. We've got a, if we've got a, a false view of Jesus that he's going to act exactly as we want, he's going to he's going to make all our dreams come true, a kind of Disney vision of, of Jesus. Then, when we get disappointed, we can get decline and decline and decline and decline and decline. Not to say that he doesn't answer prayer of things like that, but of course he does. But there are things we've all experienced he doesn't do everything we would want in the time and the way we would want. And as I'm saying, the answer to this is worship. A fresh vision of Jesus in worship restores faith. You know when you come before him, perhaps band, the band want to come up. The dynamic duo. <laughs> come up here, my friends. We're expecting big things from you right now. <laughs> we need to worship like Mary. Seeing Jesus. You see, Mary was prepared to pour out a year's worth of money, as it were, in investment for Christ. It, it, it's a lavish gift, is it not? It's incredible. Why could she do it? Well, she'd been disappointed by him, but she could do it because she trusted and she loved him. She loved him. She loved Christ. See, the crowd can pick palm, palm, palm branches don't cost a lot if they grow on the trees nearby. Some of them threw their cloaks down. Well, it was a bit of a wash. Didn't cost a lot. But when we truly see Jesus, we have a true vision of this king riding in, this king with a worldwide conquering mission. When we see this king coming in, we knowing he's going to come again, he's going to restore all things, he's got a great big plan, he is God. When we see him for who he is, we see him dying on the cross, 
which was perplexed the crowds. What on earth was he doing? It perplexed the disciples. What was he doing? But we know, don't we? He was doing it for our salvation. When we see this, you're going to do communion last week, I heard, next week, I hear. What's communion? Every time you, break, you have communion, when you take bread and wine, what are you doing? You're getting a fresh vision of Jesus that should, that should break the, uh, the harm that's done by our disappointments because he loves us unconditionally. So we're going to worship him now. And if there's any application from what I'm saying... It's to live a life of worship. It's to get that, whatever you use, your phone, get your guitar out again, dust, get up the dust off, or just sing, open up the Psalms, praise his name, express your love and trust. And if you're in a place of disappointment, I, I guarantee you, this is how you get out of that hole. Worship and trust of the true Jesus. Let's do that now, shall we? Let's worship him.